Good morning. It's good to be here in God's house with God's people, having breakfast with them. Thank you, Bob. But before I begin, I want us to just take a moment to re-enter the sanctuary in our mind's eye. So imagine that you have just come into the sanctuary. You were walking through the doors. And at that moment, you notice there's something different. Your eyes go to the front of the church, and they're directed not towards the pulpit, not towards the banners, but to God himself. God has made himself visible to you. Don't get caught up in how or why or what he looks like. Just know that he is here. You see him, and you immediately sense that he sees you. His hands are open wide, And before you can think about it, you find yourself running into his arms. Running as a toddler runs to his dad. Not thinking about protocol, not thinking about whether you should or shouldn't, but remembering that you are a child of God, you run. Maybe awkwardly, maybe timidly, but you run. Oblivious to who else is around, knowing only one thing, You must reach God because he is all you need and all you wanted. As you reach the platform, his hands are wrapping around you. And before you can even say a word, he says, I know. I know. I know. I forgive you. I forgive you. I love you. I love you. And at that moment, you remember that the God of the universe, the God of creation, loves you. Nothing else matters. Nothing else seems important. You treasure the embrace, and then not wanting to leave, you sit at his feet. As you sit there, you notice that others are making their way towards God. You notice them running, some of them very awkwardly, some of them falling and getting up. But they come, they embrace, they sit. And after a moment, you notice that you are surrounded by the members of St. George. And in the midst of the silence, you hear the words Melanie spoke. How wonderful, how beautiful, when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's what Yahweh commands the blessing. That's when Yahweh ordains eternal life. And as the silence continues, you realize something. God does not only love you, but he loves those around you. And you realize that there is a blessing if we can learn to live together. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, 
O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week, for those of you who were here, you were reminded that you were a child of God. You were reminded that the moment you recognized Jesus as the Son of God, the moment that you said yes to Jesus, you became a child of God. You became a kid of the King. But like it or not, something else happened too. That moment, you became a member of a family, a Christian family, a church. Now, David has said many times in the last couple of weeks that there are a lot of people who are Christians who just don't do church. But it's important to remember that all those who say yes to Jesus are part of the church. Let's face it, there are people we know that say, I don't do family, but they still have a family all the same. Eugene Peterson puts it really good. He says in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. His relationship with us is personal, true, intimate, yes, private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I hate to break it to you, but no Christian is an only child. I don't know if you knew that when you signed up. I don't know if you knew that you were going to have to live with people like us. You were going to have to be part of community. It's pretty good having breakfast together. But what about doing life together? A couple of months ago, I talked about how Jesus prayed. His very last prayer was for his disciples that they would be able to live in unity together. And we talked about it a bit. And we looked around and we saw that we were a motley crew. And we realized that Jesus wouldn't, was the only one that could have got us together. Let's face it, we're all very, very different. We don't even like the same things. And unfortunately, we're all very, very human. We're sometimes not very nice. And you know, the funny part is, when we accept Jesus, unfortunately, we do not become perfect right away. And we still sin. We still have baggage. We still are broken. And we still, sadly enough, have the capability to hurt people, to offend people, to alienate people without even trying. How many times has someone said to you, you know when you said this, it really hurt me, and you think to yourself, I didn't mean to hurt you. Granted, most of us are fun to be around, I know. Most of us are likable, some of us are exciting, some of us are inspirational, but some of us are also cranky, dull, and genuinely hard to get along with. None of you here, I'm sure. But like it or not, God has placed us and called us to be part of a community together. Together. So the question today is not, am I going to be part of a community of faith? But how 
am I going to be part of a community of faith? How am I going to be able to live with those around me? It is clear that God wants us to dwell in unity, to dwell in harmony. He wants us to be able to exchange and share God's grace with each other. It is in this context that God blesses us and blesses the world the most. When brothers and sisters in Christ dwell in unity, the world gets a glimpse of God's kingdom here on earth. We spoke about that. But for those of you who have been involved in church for years and years and years and been in family, you know what it's like when you see someone that you haven't seen for like 20 years and it's more than just friends. There's something that happens when men and women, kids, parents, grandparents, pray together. There is something that happens. And that is what the body of Christ is all about. So church, I think, is kind of our training ground. It's our practice. Because we don't get to pick the people, but we get to practice. We get to practice what? How to show grace. How to show love. We get to maybe put them before us. We get to maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. We get to practice the fact that we're not the most important person and that maybe their opinion matters. Now we all know that it's good to have someone else on a journey and we are all on a journey of faith. We all know it's nice to have a, a friend come with us. And so some of you are now thinking, we've heard this before, Roxanne. David has said this. You have said this. Good to know you've heard it before. God wants us to love each other. The problem is, sometimes it's hard to know how. How do we do this? How do we love the people we're stuck with? How do we show love when it's hard? Well, I'm no expert in loving difficult people, but I know someone who is. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus knew what it was like to stick it out with someone. He ran with the same group of men for three years. Jesus saw his disciples' faces around the table, around the campfire, around the clock. They rode in the same boats, walked the same roads, ate the same meals, visited the same houses. How did he stay so devoted to them? They were just like us. They were human, and he saw their faults. He knew their ambition. He knew their greed. He knew their thirst for power. He knew their thoughts of betrayal and dislike. He knew that they were going to let him down when it counted the most. So how did he love them? In the gospel that Melanie read, and for those of you listening, it's John 13, verses 1 to 17. Jesus shows us how to love. Now remember, in Jesus' day, foot washing was done by the lowliest of servants, hardly a task we would expect the king of the universe to be doing. And yet, here he was, kneeling before his disciples, washing the dirt off their feet. Max Lucato, 
in his book, Just Like Me, suggests that Jesus' concern at that moment was singular. He wanted his disciples to know how much he loved them. More important than removing the dirt, Jesus was removing doubt. Jesus' concern at that moment was not for himself, but for his disciples. He knew that in a few short hours, these men would do the despicable. They would betray, they would run away, and by morning, they would bury their heads in shame, and they would look down at their feet in disgust. And as they did, Jesus wanted them to remember how much he loved them. He wanted them to realize that their feet were still clean. Have you missed the significance of that act? Jesus forgave their sin before they even committed it. He offered mercy before they even sought it. And we are called to be like him. So you say, but I can't. There's some people that I just can't. There are some people that make me feel too uncomfortable. There are some hurts that are too deep. Some wounds too numerous. Some words that cut. But you're focusing on the wrong thing. Remember, the secret to being like Jesus is to focus your eyes on him. Shift your gaze from the one who has hurt you to the one who has saved you. John tells us, if we live in the light, as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. Then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. In other words, we are constantly being cleaned. As each speck of dust falls on us, it is washed away. Jesus is still washing our feet. Jesus kneels down and sees the darkest, vilest part of our lives, and he says, I'll clean you up if you want. His basin is full of mercy, and he washes away all our sin. But that's just the beginning. Because he lives in us, you and I can do the same. Because we are forgiven, we can forgive. Because we have been given unconditional grace, we can offer it. Jesus' followers had no doubt of God's love. Those around us should have no doubt of our love. In reality, we are all called to kneel as Jesus knelt, to touch the grimy parts of our brothers and sisters, and to wash away their unkindness with kindness. Now you might be thinking, but I've done nothing wrong. I'm not the one that cheated. I'm not the one that lied. I'm not the guilty party. And you know what? Maybe you're not. But then again, neither was Jesus. Of all the men in the room, only one was worthy of having his feet washed. The one who should have been served, served. The burden of reconciliation falls on the strong one, not the weak one. 
The one who is innocent is the one that needs to make the gesture. Surprisingly, if the one in the right volunteers to wash the feet of the one in the wrong, both parties get down and wash each other's feet. Is it easy to dwell in unity? Is it easy to wash other people's feet? Absolutely not. It requires one thing, that we fix our eyes on Jesus and not the sins of our brothers and sisters. That we remember the unconditional love of God. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. Through Jesus living in us. Think for a moment, if there's anyone in your life or anyone in this room who needs your assurance of grace. Remember, we are committed to each other for the long haul, in good times and in bad. I want to end with a quote from Max Lucado. Relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. Let me read that one more time. Relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. Let us pray. Holy God, help us to extend grace. Help us to extend mercy. Help us to fix your, our eyes on your Son, Jesus. Help us to love unconditionally. Amen.